passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Brandon Thurston from WrestleNomics is up next, and we're going to follow Brandon with John Pollock from Post Wrestling. Thank you, and good afternoon, everyone. But we can't ignore the math, okay? We can't ignore the data. Go on Google Trends, type in your name, then type in mine. You're a straight line. I'm a pyramid. I like the very direct question on that. Television ratings, downward spiral, buy rates, plummeting. The time is now to turn the math around. I am John Pollock, along with Brandon Thurston, a man of so many talents, uh, just the latest of which video editing skills that we can add to the long list. Hello, Brandon. Hello. But you did the audio. You and I have found a, a, a perfect I, – I can do audio, you can do video. And together we, we come together uh, for a brilliant intro to Pollock and Thurston each and every week. And yes, for you NXT viewers out there, I definitely caught Booker's line on Tuesday night about – Popping a rating last week. I was like, oh, there, there's a good soundbite, but too late for an intro. Oh, Booker, Booker sneaks these ones in every, every now and then. Uh, he, he referenced over 800K last week, Booker noting that they – that Really? Last wow. Week. Yes, yes. Didn't Real mention numbers. the demo. He's a, he's a total viewership guy. Okay. Okay. Maybe in the, in the next season of, of Pollock and Thurston. Are we going to make this like this, the signature where it changes every time and then people notice like, oh, so-and-so is not in the signature anymore. Yeah. If someone gets canceled or, or, or fired, we'll have to take them out of the opening instantly, but Booker missed a deadline. So um, maybe next season. We have uh, plenty to get to on this week's show. Joining us a little later on, we will have Rich Fan from the Pro Wrestling Torch, a columnist over there as well as the co-host of MCU Later. He will be on with us to chat about the state of AEW. Yes. Huge. State of AEW. Significance, yes. Is it dying? Is it dying? Um, well, if there's... What, what is more reactionary than uh, Thursday afternoons at 4 o'clock, minutes after a collision airs, or Vince McMahon selling stock? I think that was the most reactionary of all the, the, the takes over the last week. Vince McMahon selling stock. He's done. He's going away. He's out of- Companies going private again. I mean, what what else uh, made its way onto your screen over the past week? No, yeah. Do you want to start there with Vince? Vince is. Vince I think we should start with Vince because where were we last week? I think like it, since we went off last Wednesday, I think TKO filed over a thousand pages of SEC filings, and I've done my best to get the Coles notes of all of these filings, but. Even my head was spinning going through all of these filings. So like every the last twenty four hours, I can't tell you how many notifications I've received. So I, I think because 
they've just created a new company, which is TKO Group Holdings, and put obviously WN UFC into that new company. I think they're required. This is just a guess. Uh, some expert on SEC filings should correct us and reach out. Um, but I think they're required to like republish the entire prospectus every time they do something, maybe for a certain time limit, because every time there's like an 8K, there is also the obligatory like 400 page filing out there as well. Um, but but Vince, we found out how much he made too in, in net proceeds um, last night when the whole, the form fours came out. That's right. So Vince McMahon has sold 8.4 million of his class A shares. And as the filing came out, selling it at $76.41 per share, which the stock, the stock has been all over the place today. We'll get to that later. So the net proceeds come out to Six hundred and forty-one million eight hundred and forty-four thousand dollars. Yes. So um, Vince is probably hoping this J.P. Morgan uh, estimate of a hundred dollars per share is not realized. He might be kicking himself. I mean, to walk away with only six hundred forty-one million dollars. I mean, that's that's a rough day. Yeah. Well, the price targets are are usually this is what we think it should be worth in about a year from now. Um, but those are. I mean, the analysts have had this stock at uh, most of them have had the stock at around 100 or over 100 for a long time now and it's it's relaxed down obviously now since the the news of the smackdown deal came out but he made just under 700 million dollars and what's he going to do with it is a curious question maybe it's just estate planning maybe he's just you know writing who he wants to to have what what money uh when he passes but um that's a lot of money he still owns a lot of the company it's not as if he's it's not as if he has that much less power or influence. He still has about 12% of all TKO shares. Before this transaction, he had 16%. Um, he has no super votes anymore. The super vote era for Vince McMahon and his family members is, is gone now. They have one vote for one share, not 10 votes for, for one share as they did in the past uh, when it was just WWE stock. Um, but he still owns a large, large portion of the company. And um, some of the boards, some of the members of the board of directors, including Ari, Ari Emanuel and Mark Shapiro and uh, Jonathan Kraft, who's the son of Bob Kraft, the New England Patriots owner. He bought some shares. Uh, Kerry Wheeler and Steve Coonan, who are also members of the board, also bought some shares. So uh, the company bought like $100 million worth of the shares that he was liquidating. So mostly, though, it's held by Morgan Stanley, uh, which which is, you know, you can buy it now uh, on the stock market uh, as usual. In scanning through some of these uh, filings over the past week, I mean, we got to see uh, attendance figures for WWE, a bunch of employment agreements, as Brandon mentioned, seeing you know what, what Vince McMahon made, uh, what Ari Emanuel stands to make, uh, Mark Shapiro as well, and a lot of UFC financials as well broken down as opposed to just all baked in together, uh, as previously Endeavor would report where, I mean, it was the lion's share was the UFC, but it was lumped into their, like, um, professional bull riding and and other things. Now we get a clear sense of the UFC side of things. But the highlight of all of these pages was subsequent events. Vincent K. McMahon, our controlling shareholder on January 5th, 2023, our controlling shareholder executed and delivered a written consent, taking certain actions by consent without a stockholder meeting in accordance with Delaware law, resulting in, among other things, the election of Mr. McMahon, Michelle Wilson, and George Barrios to the board of directors. 
On January 6th, the company announced, uh, okay, these were the, the resignations. Mr. McMahon subsequently informed the company of his view that there was substantial alignment among the board of directors and management concerning the decision to conduct a review of strategic alternatives and the company's upcoming media rights cycle. In light of the foregoing, on January 16th, McMahon, in his capacity as controlling shareholder, executed and delivered a written consent, taking certain actions by consent without a stockholder meeting. And it finishes by the company announced that its management and board of directors are engaged in a review of strategic alternatives. Essentially, this was their way of uh, painting all of the McMahon drama that resulted in uh, Vince McMahon in, Stephanie McMahon out, resigning from her role as co-CEO. And as a result of Ms. McMahon's resignation, Nick Khan assuming the role of chief executive officer. All of this happening the first week of 2023. Yeah, I mean, this is not new news, but this is a narrative to revisit. that they put in there for the prospectus. Um, well, I wasn't sure if the, the six-month data that you're, you're referencing, which is January to June, if that was new. But um, I thought for a moment we had attendance data, but it was only through through June, which which would be data that we would already have had from the Q2 report. Yeah, these were only break, broken up by, yeah, the first six months of this year versus last year. But, I mean, sizable increases for WWE. I mean, not a, a surprise, but, I mean, some of their, like, uh, total live attendance is up 30%. Over these six months versus last year, international attendance up 54%. And, you know, it's we can see that WWE's live attendance, it has been very, very strong over uh, the, this period of time. And, and now we're into the era where we're looking at, you know, a year ago where, you know, the company had greatly uh, enhanced itself. And now we're looking at the year-to-year comparisons of Paul Levesque and sort of him compared to his own booking period. Yeah, I spent actually most of the day looking through the big databases, cage match wrestling data, and 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 the data that's on historyofw.com, and trying to consolidate all of that attendance data to look at attendance over time. Uh, it's it's very dirty data at this point. That's so I don't want to make any 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 uh, conclusions that will get me in trouble here before I clean the data up uh, quite a bit. Uh, but it it looks pretty impressive so far in terms of you know compared to to years prior. This seems like the in terms of an average attendance. You know, this looks like the highest average attendance in many years, but more work to be done. Also, if you want to get in any uh, Super Chats, we will be taking questions uh, towards the end of the show. So if you want to uh, send any in, uh, we will isolate them and get to those before the end of the show. Or if you have any questions for Rich Fan, who we know is going to be the most popular of the three of us coming up uh, in about 20 minutes time or so. Uh, Some Canadian news. I know everyone is at the edge of their seat about Canadian television rights. Well, last week um, during a Wednesday night hockey, which is pretty much religion up here in Canada, they hockey made night in Canada. Um, yes, which has uh, gone from CBC over to Rogers Sportsnet, a four point nine billion dollar deal to get hockey over here in Canada. Uh, they made the announcement that the UFC is coming back to Sportsnet. They are leaving TSN at the expiration of their deal at the end of this year, and they had previously been on Sportsnet from 2011 until the end of 2014. So they did hold a press conference, and I was there in attendance, so naturally, I wanted to ask them about the TKO deal and the fact that Sportsnet, at least for the first half of 2024, Sportsnet will have the rights to both the UFC and uh, WWE. So here is uh, UFC executive Dave Shaw commenting on the talks with Sportsnet and where things might lie as regards to a WWE deal, which their 10-year contract is up next year. 
If you can just talk to us a bit about uh, several months ago with the merger being completed with TKO, mm-hmm. WWE does have a deal with Sportsnet. Does any of that play into the dynamics that made for these negotiations to go smoother, or are these two sides essentially operating independent of each other when it comes to an international deal like this with Sportsnet? It's a good question. So the short answer is, is we've been acting independently of one another um, as we've gone through this process for our, our Canadian broadcast rights. Um, but that's all changing now that, you know, we just had our Q3, uh, the first quarterly earnings report for TKO, which was last week, um, delivered by some of the executives on our team. Uh, We're heading into a new period now where we're starting with this integration. What does it mean to have UFC and WWE, um, you know, combining forces? Um, I can tell you that, you know, Dana's been pretty clear. Ari's been pretty clear. Our products will remain independent, but there's a lot of overlap in some of the specialties and expertise that we've got with operating our businesses. And media rights is absolutely one of them. Um, it's great that we're all here today. Hopefully Greg's got some time and we can sit down and talk about what the future looks like for WWE. Um, but I think what we're going to see is is now, you know, our, our businesses and our teams starting to integrate to figure out how to take TKO, both UFC and WWE, to the next level. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're excited. There's um, there's an incredible amount of, of, of synergies between the two businesses, uh, of similarities. Um, they've got an absolutely astoundingly large fan base around the world have done such a great job through digital media and their their broadcast relationships around the world and their ability to to build talent um, is absolutely something that you know I think we can take a page out of their books for um, and yeah absolutely we're looking forward to it. So that was Dave Shaw and the Greg that he was referring to in that clip is uh, Greg Sansoni who is the vice president of programming at Sportsnet and in theory would be the point person that they're negotiating with for this. Um, for the WWE deal, which they announced in July of 2014, a 10-year deal for Raw, SmackDown, and Main Event. They have since added NXT into that. So this is pretty much the entire WWE package is on Sportsnet. And I am sure that that was a steal of what they were able to, for, for 10 years of WWE rights in 2014, plus they're the distributor of the WWE Network in Canada. So it's a pretty big deal. And I mean, Brandon, Canada is fourth when it comes to WWE's overall rights behind the US, England, India. Morgan Stanley had put it Morgan or not Morgan Stanley. JP Morgan put it ahead of um UK in their estimate. It could be. I don't know. I, I've always figured US by far number one, uh India number two now, but then that's a recent development in the last mm-hmm. right cycle. Uh followed by United Kingdom. Um but maybe United Kingdom and Canada are closer than I thought. Um but yeah, you, you did you mention you get NXT as part of yes. Sportsnet? Is that is, is that on a primary channel or is that on like a, another second? This is all all of the programming is on Sportsnet 360. Okay, and the I'm trying to remember the the network deal was that done at the same time as the live rights deal? Yes. Okay, so I mean that's that's something that they pushed as one of their ways to to continue to grow the business. And in WWE's case, is that you know they've. And they've made deals in Australia. They still only have a, a, a streaming deal like they do with, with Peacock in the United States and in the United Kingdom. Um, so I would think that would be, you know, you know, their argument to to charge more for it, uh, for one thing. Uh, but ratings have been up in Canada as well as the U.S. for Raw. Raw, Raw in particular, very strong. Um, I mean, this week they just did their highest since mid-August. And in particular, the early part of this year when you could see the the buildup with, with Sami Zayn, I mean, they were doing 
incredible numbers, but still very healthy. I mean, typically a Monday night show for Raw is doing anywhere from 250 to 300,000 viewers in that range, which for Canada, I mean, take into account the population difference, but that is a very strong number for, you know, Canadian sports that is not the NHL, that is not the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, SmackDown is typically below that. And then you have Dynamite that is more on on par with NXT. So it's something to keep in mind. The the Canadian deal is ending at the end of next year, 2024. I believe the the India deal is expiring with Sony. They've just merged with somebody. So maybe it's not called Sony anymore. But the, the India deal is expiring at the end of 2024, I believe. And the UK deal, I believe, is also expiring at the end of 2024 with BT Sport, or they call TNT Sports now. TNT UK Sports now, yes. Okay. So all of that's coming up. That probably totals to maybe not quite $100 million in, in, in total media value, average annual value. But that's still you know, it's a, big, a big chunk. Um, it's like another flagship show on the U.S. side to, to think of it in, in some proportion that we're familiar with. And like Canada, the TNT Sports deal in the U.K., that is a Again, one that has both WWE and the UFC rights uh, as well. So interesting to see their kind of international plans now that the two companies are all together and negotiating these these various topics. Brandon, I know that you tuned in to watch UFC 295 on Saturday night. You tuned in like five minutes before the pay-per-view was going to go live, the end of the televised prelims, and there in walks Donald Trump flanked by Dana White, Kid Rock and Tucker Carlson. There he is. Four names that I, I can't I can't make this up to you. But here they they walk into Madison Square Garden. How are they arena. received? What was the crowd reaction? Um, stunningly, it was pretty positive for Donald Trump. Which is, I mean, you look at this like the the dynamics of all of this very interesting. I don't know how many large gatherings in New York that Donald Trump can attend that he would get such a hero's welcome other than a UFC event. Uh, but this was one of them. Here this is on a Disney platform. And here they are platforming Donald Trump. Like this was, I don't know, to me, for for, for the UFC that has, I mean, really leaned into this being an aspect of their audience and the, the sport that has, you know, this was a very nice massaging of one's image on Saturday night and and treated as such by this audience. Like there were not outside of Bill Burr's wife, who was uh, you can see Bill Burr seated uh, behind them here, his wife <laughs> giving the finger to Donald Trump. So she was, um, you know, speaking for some uh, here as well. But uh, for Maya Hill was her name. Yes. Yeah. So that that certainly made made, made the rounds on uh, on Saturday. But this is. Like this is something now that is very closely associated with the the UFC brand as their right leaning political viewpoint, and you know this is you know you are not going to have the UFC broadcasters speaking ill of a uh, Donald Trump. Uh, no mention of any you know ninety one felony counts or anything like that. And like this was a this was a nice PR exercise for. If you're Donald Trump, who has kept a pretty low profile as they're going through the the Republican uh, leadership debates, I, I, I did hear the, the clip of the commentator was putting him over as as a big UFC fan, one of the biggest. Huge, like huge. Yeah. Didn't make huge. it there for the early prelims, but um, yeah. I know that uh, everyone knows that um, Dana White has a pretty firm stance when it comes to this. And this was a, this was Dana White in in 2021. One of the things that I yeah. that I've really 
tried to do through this whole thing is stay out of politics. When people tune in to watch sports, they don't want to hear that crap. They don't want to hear what your opinions are or who you're voting for or what you're doing. They, they want to get away from everything in their life and they want to focus on the, whether, you know, two, three, four hours, however long the sport is. Throughout this pandemic, when you turned on the UFC, you know, we never talked about COVID. We never talked about politics. And obviously, th there are certain fighters, um, you know, male and female who have their own religious beliefs, their own political beliefs or whatever. We don't muzzle anybody either. So if somebody comes out at the press conference and they want to talk about this or that or whatever it might be, it, it's their God-given right to do it. Um, we, we don't muzzle anybody, but we, we keep politics out of the sport. You want, you want to listen to that stuff? Turn on any other station. <laughs> you got it. You, you'll hear all the COVID and political stuff you want to hear. When you turn into the UFC, you're, you're there to see fights. Case closed, Brandon. So there, there you go. I just want to watch some fights when I turn on my television on a, on a Saturday night. So of course it's like, we, we don't talk about that political crap unless, unless it's viewpoints that are in line with our own. There, there was recently, he lifted a ban on flags, right? Fighters can come to the, to the octagon with flags now as, as opposed to before without, there was some restriction on that. They had stopped allowing that. And then, yeah, they have now since rescinded that and gone back to allowing flags to be um what what is that about were people like bringing trump flags to, to the octagon or something no it, it wasn't so much that it was I, I i don't even know what the what was the the straw that broke the camel's back on on that one uh but they just made the decision not to allow flags and then they went back on that but you've had um you know th there there was a fighter i want to remember the exact details here this was about a month ago who had a I believe it was like a pro-Palestinian message in their and, and spoke in like their native language. And then that part was was edited out of the, the clip. So, you know, you have instances like that where people are looking yeah, at edited out of the clip where like on, on I think it was on the YouTube version that they took that yeah. part out of because the, they usually put up the the post by interviews. UFC's channel. Yes. Yes. Mm, OK. Yeah. So anyway, it is just the. uh it, just to watch as you know tko moves forward like this is and we're going into an election year like the ufc is very much an arm of you know the the donald trump messaging side like this company put out a total like propaganda documentary piece on donald trump of, a few years ago as this uh you know this incredible leader of mixed martial arts that helped us during the dark days that has now risen to become this um fearless leader of, of our country and i mean this is something they heavily, heavily lean into. And you can compare this to uh, WWE that has just tried to distance itself as much as possible uh, for, from politics. I, I suppose they, they know UFC knows that their, their crowd is accepting of it and they're you know supportive of, of this. And in WWE, obviously Trump has been on WTV a, a number of times over the years and in memorable moments. Uh, I don't know what the reaction would be like if he was trotted out on a WWE show. Um, then again, we saw Vince get cheered, you know, right after the allegations came out in July, 2022. So he was, he was, you know, worshiped as, as another star. Um, but the funny clearly, part was that in this very same arena of Madison square garden, where they were Saturday night, that is where Donald Trump was inducted into the WWE hall of fame and was loudly booed when he was in inducted 10 years ago. And that was 2013. Yes. So by then he's getting into like, o o this Obama's. is pre-politics. This yeah. is the apprentice. This is 
Uh, but he's still by that time, isn't he still like criticized? He's into the Obama. birther stuff with he Obama to, yeah. at that point. So he's he's certainly engaging in, in politics by by that point in time. Yeah. Uh, do you want to bring us up to speed on the Panini lawsuit, which seems to be coming to an end via Zoom? <laughs> they can have a Zoom meeting. Um, there's a, a letter put out. Uh, this uh, last night, this letter came out, and basically, it's just from both parties writing that we've come to an agreement in principle. We write on behalf of both parties in response to the court order uh, to the court's order date of November 3rd, um, where it says that they have conferred live and in real time to discuss a potential solution. Specifically on October 3rd, Nikon, who they reference as the CEO of WWE, not not up to speed here on his rank here. He's, he's a president now. Uh, but Nikon and Mark Warsup, who is the CEO of Panini America, and Elisabetta Mussini, who's the group licensing director of Penny, they conferred on Zoom for approximately 30 minutes. And on November 14th, so yesterday, this, this filing came out. I, I got the email alert in like prime time last night. Uh, so this happened yesterday. The same parties plus their counsel conferred on Zoom for approximately another 30 minutes. Uh, in addition, the parties exchanged settlement proposals and counterproposals on all of these dates between October and November. And uh, they continue to come to a resolution. But it sounds like they're, they're basically... They've come to they're, they're getting very close to coming to a solid agreement to make this case go away. Very don't know what that means, though. Yeah. Right don't know what that the, means, though, in terms of like, will 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 that consist of Panini still being allowed to sell W trading cards? Will this consist of, you know, W giving Panini some money so that so that they can be released from this deal so they can go with Fanatics, which is we get the impression that's what they want. They want to license W trading card rights to Fanatics instead of Panini. Well, I hope they release the, the Zoom call of uh, at least a, a transcript of this 30-minute uh, discussion. I want to know what the what, what broke the ice at the beginning of the call as you send in uh, Nick Khan to uh, fix this mess. Maybe they're going to throw the antitrust suit at Nick Khan. Go, go take care of this. Going to be the cleaner. We also have uh, ESPN. They uh, Disney held its... Uh, quarterly earnings report last week uh, with the updated figure of 26 million subscribers for ESPN plus. So Peacock is now, they can now boast for at least another quarter. We're bigger than ESPN plus by uh, 2 million subs as a uh, ESPN plus um, a bit of growth, but not a staggering amount uh, either as they, and that's the first Pe- Peacock is has crossed ESPN plus. Whereas before it was, growing but w- well behind espn plus as, you, as people watching the video can see in the line chart here so i mean th- these businesses are largely losing money but and peacock is definitely one that's losing a lot of money um but but peacock has surpassed espn plus for whatever that's worth yeah and espn on the call stating it's looking like two years tops they're going to be going direct to consumer which has been i guess the the fear of a lot of the cable industry although this would not be the the elimination of espn from cable carriers but giving you the option that if you do not have cable you can have access to espn uh directly um via its uh, subscription service my my guess would be based on disney and, and charter coming to an agreement that they would give charter subscribers access to to Disney Plus, that 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 is maybe a signal of how a lot of these deals in the future are going to go in terms of you'll have these streaming services be included in the package for cable subscribers. So putting these these streaming services all back into the bundle. Meanwhile, the the 
prices for the direct consumer option of ESPN plus of Peacock, those already are continuing to rise. They'll continue to get even higher and more expensive for the consumer pressuring them to get back into the cable bundle, whether that's through traditionally having the cable guy come over and install cable or, or the virtual option like, like sling and Hulu live and YouTube TV. Merchandise, Brandon, you have compiled the latest estimates of merchandise sold by the top performers in WWE. Yeah, well, WWE put out a a page, and I can't find where this was linked originally. Um, but I was I was alerted that on Reddit there is this this page, and you can really find it. It really is there on shop.w.com, which is a Fanatics licensed website now. Uh, but you really can find. Uh, this image that they put out, I'll put it on the screen here, uh, of 10 individuals who they, they title, these are the top-selling WWE superstars, hmm. and it's 10 of them. It appears to be an order. You know, it, 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 We'll talk about how it compares to my list, but you know, number one, they don't num- number them, to be clear, but, the, but, but Cody is the biggest on top next to Roman Reigns, also the biggest uh, right beside him. So Cody Rhodes, number one, apparently. Roman Reigns, followed by L.A. Knight, followed by John Cena, Rhea Ripley, Seth freaking Rollins, uh, The Bloodline, The Judgment Day, Rey Mysterio, and Kevin Owens. That's the end of the 10. Uh, and, and if you compare that to my list, I, di- I did have some, uh, some nostalgia in my list. So, so my list is based on every day there is a script that wakes up at 9.30 a.m., and it go and it navigates its way to shop.w.com and it goes to the apparel section. So I'm only looking at t-shirts or other apparel and sorting it by top sellers, looking at all those items, collecting all that data, the order that all that all that listing is in, and then analyzing over the long course of time, you know, whose items tend to be listed high in this list. And the answer is this is year to date. Number one, Cody Rhodes. Number two, Stone Cold Steve Austin, followed by Roman Reigns, LA Knight, John Cena, the NWO, Eddie Guerrero. Rhea Ripley, the W brand itself, the Usos, Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens. And there we've, if you exclude the inactive wrestlers like Austin, uh, the NWO, uh, and the W brand, which is not a wrestler, obviously, that that uh, gets everybody except for uh, Rey Mysterio, who I'm guessing maybe he's pushed by mask sales that I'm not accounting for by only analyzing the, the, the apparel uh, section. But in, in order, as far as active wrestlers the top five, I think maybe even the top six, are all in in the same order as my estimates. So that gives me gives me some confidence. Assuming that you know uh, this list from WWE itself is is honest. Assuming they were not just looking at WrestleNomics list to try to confirm it, <laughs> which I, which I hope is not what's happening there. Uh, but it it gives me some encouragement that these estimates are pretty accurate. Yeah, your your scripts are also. Uh trained to also analyze the AEW roster page. Yes. So when, when there is a, a performer that goes missing from the roster page, which is typically oh, yeah. our tip off to a contract is expired. Uh, that's pretty much the notification is through your scripts. I can include you in those emails if you want. <laughs> you can, you can include me in, in anything you, you so choose. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Um, 
but someone we are going to be including in the chat as we're going to be uh, focusing a bit more on AEW as they go into full gear this week. You know him. He is a columnist over at PW Torch as well, uh, the host of the deep dive and you can also catch everything with rich fan as well as mcu later he's a very busy man but taking some time out to chat with us rich fan is on the program with us rich how are you today hi rich hey good to see you guys happy to be here and thank you for the invite john well we are we are here to figure out the future of aew we're going to solve this in about 20 minutes time the uh all the the tumult that they are in as they are going into full gear and just a a big picture look at things as we're going into this uh, pay-per-view rich tell us just about kind of your thoughts on AEW particularly in this last i would say like 5 6 week cycle since wrestle dream you've had Adam Copeland come in we have seen uh, the addition of of Rick Flair and such like you are getting uh, certainly this feels like an elevated amount of criticism that AEW is receiving but what what do you look at in terms of like their overall health as we close out the year and where they are headed. Yeah. I mean, I mean, clearly, and you, 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 I don't think you need to look at Brandon's reports though. You should uh, to say this, but they're not going out of business anytime soon. I don't think, I don't think it's as doom and gloom as that, but I think one of the bigger questions, the bigger issues AEW is running into. And I wrote an article about it a couple of weeks ago over on the torch is that being a challenger brand, being a model that is going against a hegemon in any business, it's going to be tough, but it's going to be even tougher when your customers see you as the standard, uh, either in a cultural or in a uh, in, in AEW's case, a moral way. And so some of the choices that have been made, the signing of Ric Flair, some of the moves that have been made in that regard, some of the fan base, the hardest of hardcores have seen that as uh, something that is uh, basically anathema to what their mission statement had been oh wow you guys as always over here i'm dude brandon's on top of this stuff you can't be i mean he's all listen i i say it's the forbidden porch whenever we're we're cross uh pollinating our work like i'll bring wh over you guys bring me over and uh, one of the the keys i i read the book that at least i believe it's the book that warner brothers had suggested to tony in terms of being a challenger brand and so some of the challenges with being a challenger brand is when you have this group of fans in your next iteration, you have to shock them, but also maintain them. And I think right now the shock and the movements and things that they're doing, first of all, moving to more entertainment based storylines instead of the quality wrestling and, and some of the characters we grew to know in the first few years of the company that set them up in that issue. Additionally, and really the elephant in the room, WWE got better. They forced them, like, you know, as my son would say to his friends, get good. They, they forced them to get good. There wasn't a, a safety net for WWE or it wasn't a situation where WWE could just ignore the fact that AEW was siphoning fans. They're bringing in uh, stars. They're making people they saw as castaways, excellent pieces of their program, mixing them with folks who hadn't been seen before. Now... You, you know, you have a show tonight where they had a rampage and it was, I think, uh, per WrestleTix last time they came through 7000 seats. And now it's close to 33, 34. I don't, I don't know what the latest one as of today. I was using the shoot job, so I, I didn't get a chance to hop on the old uh, WrestleTix to kind of see. But that's where they're at. You have the Young Bucks who, regardless of what happened with CM Punk, have seemed to have been content uh, as executive vice presidents in this stage of their careers to kind of just say, I'm good here. And uh, part of that also leads all, see, Brandon always with the good stuff. You can see the numbers. And as you look at their numbers and you look at WWE's and you look at the seats rising and you see the number of attendances rising on that side, it just becomes 
this contrast and the contrast isn't favoring them right now. And that, that is something that happens in any company and any wrestling organization is just riding that, providing a different product and moving on. But I think I heard Brian Alvarez mention this. This isn't the time for folks who are the hardest to hardcores or super fans of AEW to say nothing's perfect, but you can't let good be in the way of great. You can't just, constantly say, well, you're just putting mountains out of molehills. There are some issues. I think the flair thing, as I mentioned before, is something that's been like a third rail issue for a lot of fans who felt, you know, one of our colleagues, Stephanie Chase wrote a fantastic article on that and how for her as a female fan, that was something that was kind of like a kick in the teeth for a company that was proud of saying Hulk Hogan and his wife were not welcome in their company for a person who, you know, Tony's made some really strong moral steps. I'm never going to take blood money from the Saudis, Uh, you know, to the point where his soccer club had to suffer because their best striker, basically they made him choke on a couple of million dollars in order to get him just to prove the point of, if we want something, we'll buy it. You know, he's been constantly out in the front of these things. And so I think at times when these decisions are made, that's led to some struggle and honestly, some of it's self-inflicted. I look at someone like Brian Danielson. Throughout his AEW contract, he has not maintained health and wellness to a point where I would feel confident throwing him in their version of a G1 prior to wrestling Okada for the third time at Wrestle Kingdom. That, seem, that seems counterintuitive to one, the long-term bottom line of AEW, even though you know he may retire at the end of next year, as well as endangering him to get further injured in yet another match against Okada. And I will yeah. take a breath and let y'all hop in. Yeah. So I, I think one of the issues, at least that have been raised by some people, at least anecdotally, is that WWE or that AEW, excuse me, has become less of an alternative to WWE by becoming a little bit more like WWE in that they've kind of lost their identity in terms of being, you know, this, this is decisively different flavor of ice cream to, to wear out the, the analogy. Um, like, do, do you agree with that, that they have become more like WWE? Cause I was, I was talking with someone from the company a couple weeks ago and I was being challenged on, on that notion uh, and being challenged to list reasons. So do you think so? And if so, like, what are some, some reasons that come to mind? Right off the bat, I can think of Tony Storm's new character. That is something I could have seen. In fact, we did see it in WWE with Gold Dust, whether it was the black and white quote in movie stars, the the glitz and the glamour, but you also had a great wrestler behind it. And I would argue there's sometimes where the similarity to WWE is the similarity to traditional pro wrestling. You have a larger than life character married to a solid professional wrestler. I don't think AEW sacrificed work rate for the sake of any of their segments on television. I don't think they've done that for any of their matches on pay-per-view. So I don't think, I think it's unfair that when they do move to more entertainment aspects that they're constantly said to be kind of selling out their, their baseline identity, but that's the monster they created when they said there was this difference. You know, when you look at stuff that Kenny Omega did in TDT or the Bucks did in the Indies prior to coming to AEW, that could have been seen as entertainment. You know, I have a good friend, Chris Maitland, who works over at the torch with me. He always cite, Anytime the Bucks would come down the ring for New Japan and they would say whether or not they're winning the match or not prior to like having a major English speaking presence. That was something that always turned him off. But I was like, that's just something like Hall Nash. Those guys would do stupid things like that whenever they want it. But now you move to AEW and it's like, how dare you have the House of Black with the lights? My boss over at the torch, Wade, hates lights, hates the lights. The fact that people can turn them off and on. He did an article about that. Like, I get it. 
But that again, that's wrestling history. When you have a Tony Khan who has this encyclopedic mind and has followed wrestling as much as and as deep as he has, being able to borrow certain things should be on the agenda. One I, one example I give that is a great meld of character wrestling and kind of the past is what's going on right now with Christian and uh, Edge. I'm sorry, Adam Copeland. And all of the menagerie around him, because that's very reminiscent of the Sandman and Raven when it was the custody of Sandman's kid and Raven was just being the crazy surrogate dad. That's basically what Christian's doing right now. And it's fine. That's never something people get mad at. It's really, uh, and Brandon, if you have an example, I, I get right off the top of my head, I can't think of one where people are like, oh, I can't believe you're doing this on AEW because Tony Storm's been accepted. I think people love the picture in picture insets. And everything she's been doing with that character, the all about Eve redux. Uh, is there anyone that really stood out when when you all have been talking to folks? The, the, the world title program with MJF, which it, it does seem like in the last month or so, he has responded to criticism to try to become a more serious character. Nonetheless, we you, know, you still get dynamite opening with uh, with uh, Adam, Adam Cole coming in from from Zoom. Speaking of Zoom, uh, and, and having uh, you know the the, the Roderick Strong character involved, but just the fact that you've got a world champion who's it's it's not a sports like presentation as memorably AEW was advertised to be before it launched. It's a world title program that at times has been you know has 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 been delivered with a lot of comedy and, and frivolousness. Yeah. Look at the C two. And I'm sorry John for cutting you off. I just wanted no, to throw this out real quick. The C two is uh I was very surprised when Tony opened and named Danielson as the first member because every single tournament we've had since Tony's moved away from the rankings model has featured people who, when you look at it from a sports standpoint, they'd be in the relegation zone or they would be people who would be also rans. It's like, okay, we're going to do this eliminator. And it is two guys who lost on the prior pay-per-view and one guy we haven't seen in like six months. And it's typically pack. Don't know why it's typically pack. He just shows up and he disappears. And that's my one pet peeve. Uh, That, this tournament coming up is going to be very indi- indicative to me of whether or not they're really going to what you said, Brandon, the old school sports like presentation, because it should be Danielson. If you're going to treat this like a G1 Kingston, it should be uh, Moxley. It should be really set up with blocks like we see with the G1, where you have some young lions, you have some established vets, you might have a, a Yano or two, but it should not be a, a contestant. It should be contested by like the champions and the, the 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 best of the best, not a bunch of Yanos, so to speak, and then Danielson, because that seems like you're kind of setting it up. We are coming up in March on two years since Tony Khan purchased Ring of Honor. Where is where does Ring of Honor fit in in this system? Now that we are this many years in, is this a a bargaining chip for these next round of television negotiations. Like here are two other hours of content we have on a, on a weekly basis. And what have you observed of just sort of the, the infusion of ROH, uh, the highs and lows of it over the past year and a half. Yeah. I, I think the one high and similar to AEW as an entity, having anything that gives wrestlers opportunities to be paid outside of a WWE spectrum is must have in North America because it gives everyone a chance to kind of apply their wares. Ring of Honor, while at times I feel like it is unnecessary to exist in this current climate, given the attention or lack thereof it sometimes gets, has been one of the best spots to watch, say, uh, Athena. I, I have, you know, we have a number of colleagues. Uh, again, I'll point to Stephanie again as a person who's been ringing the bell in terms of women's representation on Dynamite outside of the 925 match that we typically get. And Athena's character has developed 
immeasurably during this, doing the heel shtick, trying to recruit people and all the pieces that kind of slide in there. But then when you show her on Dynamite, you don't get all of that. You don't get that backstory. You don't get that filling. And so I think Ring of Honor's done a great job there. I think Ring of Honor's done a great job in developing uh, and maintaining the development of folks like Khan, like uh, Shane Taylor Promotions, or uh, whatever their new iteration is now. You, we basically took uh, Nana and all of that stuff, merged it with Swerve, and we brought it to Dynamite. So it seems like the best parts of it get siphoned onto Dynamite, Samoa Joe. Hello. And then the rest of it kind of can gestate. I, I'm, I'm kind of indifferent to Ring of Honor now. There had been a time, especially towards its end, uh, prior to Tony's acquisition, where you're watching it just to kind of get that last hit of what was one of the bedrocks of the early 2000s. And now it's just NWA with a better owner. Do you, get so sense that, disappointing. do you get the sense that people are, are watching Ring, Ring of Honor at least as much as say they were at the beginning of, of the, the weekly TV starting on honor club. You know, Tony has said at one point, I believe 12,000 subscribers for honor club. They're going to do the move where they're going to make final battle uh, exclusive to honor club, which makes me think maybe they, I, I don't know, maybe it's a good strategy anyway, but it, it's, it's definitely an, an attempt to push people to become subscribers or has the, the conversation around ring of honor fallen off since the last, since it began on, on Honor club. I think it's kind of fallen off, but at the same time, when Tony mentions the metrics of how many viewers are watching the attendances vis-a-vis the final few years of Ring of Honor, I think there's more people watching. There may be more people going, but there's less interest, if that makes sense. It's almost like a person with uh, X thousand Twitter followers, but there's no engagement. It's like, it's great, but is it doing something for your brand? And I think with Ring of Honor right now, that brand really is, I'm attached to MJF on the pre-show, MJ, uh Samoa Joe has declared my title not valid enough for him to defend. And Athena being a champion that is, I would argue, more prestigious at this point than, say, the TBS title, but gets less television time. And so I think all of those things add up to a brand that really, it's it's almost like when I look at Deadspin or some of the other uh, places I used to read that are still alive, but like they call them like zombie deadspin because you don't see who the tra- attribution of writers and all that things. That's really what ring of honor seems when you look at it up close, as opposed to just, yeah, it's great that those guys are working there. Given Tony Khan's style of booking, like we can see he has, you know, th- this world of all these different characters and different stories, some that may he parks at the side and then it's something that can be revisited down the road presuming that we're going to see quite the uptick in pay-per-views next year. Do you feel that's a good thing to have more of these shows to peak to, or did you like the style that they were doing where you, you had, you know, a two to three month build for a pay-per-view and does kind of the new format. Does that help or hurt from your observations of his booking? I'll defer to Brandon in terms of the money side, but I feel like it's going to hurt because if you have television and you're leading to these special events and then you go back to the television from what they've been doing with their specials like Battle of the Belts and everything else with their three branded uh, television shows weekly, it seemed like you're forcing the eyeballs on TV and then the the big blow offs are going to be at the pay-per-view with monthly pay-per-views. It seems like if you miss one. You're gonna have you're gonna be able to catch up because they either they're gonna catch you up in the in the three weeks prior to the next one, or you're gonna get enough context clues so that you're not locked into oh darn I missed this match and I'm not gonna be able to I'm not gonna regret it because they're gonna give me something equal or opposite to that later on. So because of that, I feel like Tony 
while it could be intuitive and say, hey, you're getting these markers where every month you have to resolve things, I'm, I think it might go the other way where he might try to build through each of the monthly pay-per-views while also kind of giving a yada yada to the television. And with their current desire to get a television deal, I feel like that might be a dangerous precedent. I look at it similar to what WH and I talk about on MCU later, where Marvel has to take a step back and go with maybe spotlight shows where you don't need to be locked into everything. And you can watch Echo as opposed to say low key or what if, where it's going to give you crumbs that lead into the movies and it makes it appointment television. Yeah, on I think it was the last conference call that Tony did, he sort of took issue with the notion specifically that AEW is going to do monthly pay-per-views, although he also pretty wholeheartedly endorsed more frequent pay-per-views, saying that, you know, I think any, any wrestling, something that's effective, any, any wrestling company that's done more uh, pay-per-views, uh, you know, more than four, as, as he was doing at the beginning, has not regretted it. Um, but it, but just doing more content has been in this era in the last I don't know, 10 years, I guess you could say since 2012, since Raw went to three hours, has been the great temptation of of wrestling companies and, and of live sports in general. It's, you know, you're trying to make really lucrative TV deals. In the case of WWE, you have investors. In the case of AEW, you're a private company, so maybe it doesn't matter as much. Maybe you could be more disciplined. Um, but you're trying to make a, a company that's really lucrative. And in an AEW's case, you're trying to get a return on your investment for a company that's probably not been profitable yet, uh, that is going to try to be profitable by the next right cycle. Um, so how do you do that in in this era of content? Produce more content. Um, we've talked in the past about maybe it, it makes more sense for Rod for sorry, for Dynamite to be a three hour show than a two hour show because you probably get, you know, if if we you, you toss away Rampage third hour of dynamite is going to do a better rating than rampages. Um, but it, but it's the great temptation of, of doing more content and uh, having another collision show. Um, is it a good thing for them? I, I think as long as the, we can do all sorts of mental gymnastics about, well, does it really make sense? Is, is it a handicap? Sure. It, it's, it's going to make it harder, but um, if the product is good, people will, you will not lose popularity from it. You will, you will achieve your business goals. If your product is just good and you'll have less complaints about, Oh my God, it's such a slog at three hours. Oh my God, there's, there's five hours of TV that I have to watch every week. But if that content is actually good, um, that makes up for the increased demands on, on the viewer. There's way less of the raw complaints about three hours, like pretty noticeably, at least for, for me over this, like this period that has coincided with a much more engaged audience. So I think like, we go into all these different, like, you know, trying to fill all these different holes. I think a lot of it just comes down to the overall impression that a viewer is left with of like, like quality. Like I, when, when comedy is done well, I love it in professional wrestling. I think it's something AEW greatly suffers from that. I think a lot of it is, is not witty or uh great comedy. It's poor comedy. And I think that's going to fall flat on people. And then it's just, you know, juxtaposed as, you know, all comedy is bad. No, just bad comedy is bad comedy. It's as simple as that. Yeah. As an example, this Monday, you had Cody Rhodes at Raw at the very site of the first AEW Dynamite. And I remember going there with Todd Martin and I remember um, sitting there and like being in wonder at like what was going on and like, this is a pretty cool new promotion. Let's see what happens. Cody has become 
across like i think it'd be fascinating i told wade it'd be fascinating to do a book about the period of time right now where aw has been in existence because if you could really give like cody true serum and some of the other characters in this in this play so to speak his role as being the the spine or this the thread that you stitch everything together on both shows whereas the cody verse kind of died at death on aew you still need that person that can intersperse john moxley's done it uh, Omega for a time has done it, but that person that can kind of weave it right now, the way that, as you mentioned, Brandon, that the MJF storyline has tried to do it has failed because of the bad comedy, because of the disrespect for the title, because of the fact that you're introducing so many pieces. This is almost like a Dusty Rhodes book promotion without a Dusty Rhodes relative in it, where every single feud points back to MJF. And it, that hasn't helped because he hasn't been serious. When he's the baby face and he's running away after the heels are chasing him away from his title, something's seriously like off in the booking in terms of the respect you're paying, what should be the champion of one of the most prestigious wrestling work rate based promotions in North America. And so I think when you look at a three hour model, my fear would be you would see similar to the 15 years of WWE having raw and precipitous drops in viewership. I think there would become a reckoning reckoning and whether Tony would take that reckoning as I need help booking or I need to bring someone in to kind of help steer the ship with me. Or if he would take it as we need to lean into some of our uh, quote unquote darker impulses that the fans have not liked more entertainment, more bad comedy, more skits, more musicals. I, I don't know which way he would fall. We should also mention that for, for Saturday, like for all the, the discussions about uh, AEW, its health, like this is a very strong advance that they have for the Kia Forum. There are over 10,000 tickets out. Um, they are running back to back nights. We are going to get a rare uh, Friday night collision. So it will be three hours of AEW programming on TNT. And um, maybe the uh, nobody has talked about the Friday night battle yet, Brandon. Smackdown versus collision. I mean, it's uh, it's happening on Friday, but I, I don't think too much uh, attention being placed on this uh, head-to-head program. Yeah. I, I barely remember that that it's happening. Uh, I have to get my spreadsheets ready so the quarter hours are will be aligned. Um, but yeah, I mean, the AEW shows, it's it's going to be, what, two hours of a collision, then one hour of Rampage, and only two, only two hours of SmackDown, right? So I guess Rampage will go unopposed as it usually does. But it's going to get blown away. Um, will it be... There, there was a time a- they would have absolutely just gone and added a third hour on FS1 or, or something after this, but I think this is just... It's it's Friday night, and it's I mean it really is a an ill comparison looking at Fox to uh, TNT, but nonetheless yeah. I just I compare this to what we went through last month, and this Friday is uh you know you technically have two hours of head to head competition. Yeah, I mean it'll be interesting to see if it gets hurt as badly as it does when it goes against WPLEs, but then again it's going to be on Friday out of its regular slot, so I imagine it's going to be the lowest um, collision yet. Yeah, I think. Think it's going to be a real struggle. Like they, they haven't even announced anything for for Friday's show on the AEW side. I mean, I'm sure tonight they'll have something to alert you to tune in on on Friday night. But it's, I mean, hardly a a major focus one. How would you look, Rich, at just the overall uh, lead up to Full Gear? Are you optimistic? Like the the tickets out tell you one story. Like in terms of buys for this show, I mean, is this going to be a pleasant surprise? And how much of this is on the shoulders of MJF and Jay White for the success or failure of this pay-per-view. I think a good bit of it is on Jay White and MJF because you do need, especially with a promotion like this, you need a strong main event. That's one thing they've always done. And if anything, everyone's clamored for give us the show 
the weeks before, not the week of the card. And they've done that. And so for all the stuff we just talked about, they've been disciplined. We've known from weeks and weeks ago that it was going to be MJF, Jay White. We know that he's now going to be on the pre-show, which, again, given the injury to Danielson and some of the other folks, I feel like they're playing a dangerous game by constantly having their world champion in a pre-show match and then in the main event. Stuff happens. You know, we just saw that with Rey Mysterio and uh, Logan Paul. Like, things can go sideways. When you look at the other matches, I think – Oh, perfect. Uh, the, the guns, you know, being in there with them is going to be fine. I think Orange and Moxley is another one that could be a sneaky uh, favorite for the crowd because I think those are two wrestlers that they definitely appreciate. Uh, Tony Storm, I've adored her matches, and I, I like what she's doing in there, so I've been fine with it. The four-way is going to be fine. Uh, everything looks like it's going to be a really good card. The four-way tag match is going to be fine. Now, the one I have a question about in the Texas death match between Swerve and Hangman, while I have issues with the fact that the guy who broke into the house is the one that gets to do his work and the other guy gets banned from ringside, that that's always that's pro wrestling logic. That's fine. The tag match between the Jets and the Young Bucks is very intriguing to me because I, I, I feel like, especially with this being the season for Hall of Fame and whatnot, I feel like the Bucks are going to be inducted this year into the Pro Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame on a weekend in which they felt like they called in from work and waited until they got to the pay-per-view to like show up and do stuff. Because and the results are out this Friday. I mean, this could be their their Hall of Fame induction speech on on the pay-per-view Saturday night. Right. And they, they could actually make that the hook for collision. <laughs> the, yeah. the, Bucks, the Bucks accept their induction Friday night on collision. I, listen, I would not be surprised, John, like if that happens in the result, because we saw the Booker of the Year have fanfare yeah, the last yep. couple of years when Tony got it. And I didn't realize that like Dave had like plaques and stuff. That's actually pretty cool. Um, and so for me, the pay-per-view is going to be fine. Like my brain stopped working. Forgive me. Brandon mentioned the content. And one of the things that I have seen, and if you all get a chance, there's a New York Times article that came out. I want to say this morning or maybe it was late last night. I, I have weird hours with my new job, so I can't remember which. It talks about Dave Zaslav and how he viewed the SAG-AFTRA uh, strikes and how he's viewed Hollywood to the point where he lives in Robert Evans' house, which to me as a film person like is just so frustrating that a man – oh, my God, Brandon, you're magical. Uh, it, it is it, – you read it. It is a photo. long Look at this. It is a long form read on Zaslav and how he feels like he was betrayed by Hollywood coming <laughs> no in less, though, here. So I don't know. Yeah, there it is how he blew up Hollywood and it's multiple people. I always love a multi-person story because they get some stuff. One of the key ones is toward the bottom. They talk about the SAG-AFTRA strikes and his biggest takeaway was, is that they saved a billion dollars pre-tax with Hollywood shut down. And this is the guy that's going to be in charge of whether AEW has a deal that scares me. And so if you're more worried about saving money on content instead of the content, mind you, Warner brothers discovery. One of the main reasons for this merger was you had to deal with his television at discovery getting outdone by all the streaming and all the television, all the movies being done at Warner. So it's kind of like Robin Peter literally to pay Paul in terms of the merger. Then you add in, the strike, Barbie making a record amount of money, and yet you're still $700 million short when you're talking to your, your investors. AEW, I say all that to say with AEW, not all content is going to be great content for them because if they're generating this much content and they get that third hour in a deal, is that third hour going to be worth it 
when Zaslav or whomever after Zaslav, because I anticipate that guy's going to be out of there at some point, decides that that's a money loser for them, given the return on the investment. I'm not predicting that, mind you. I'm just saying they're in an uncharted territory, were to be on wrestling, in terms of how they have to deal with this guy and then also this scene. Because WWE can churn this stuff out left, right, and center, and they don't care. You know, they just released the Ivan documentary, and it's like, hey, enjoy. Whereas AEW, if I were them, I would say less is more. And then I would also double down on serious MJF with his executive production on the Iron Claw. And I would focus on the fact that we, to your point, Brent, we care about real wrestling. Our world champion is invested in showing the history of one of the most cursed and sad stories in the sport or in the industry. And we're showing it with a clear eye. And if that's something you want to do and you want to go all in, like I wish WWE had done that when the wrestler came out. Instead, they made it a joke and Jericho feuded with, you know, the star of the movie. That's that doesn't do anything. That just kind of makes it. Oh, it's not as bad as what we're showing in this movie. He's having fun. See, I think they should do that. But again, with this pay-per-view coming up, maybe it's not the time or place. But I feel like the more they get to a serious product, the more they can point to here's how we're differing while also giving some of those other elements a better lens. I saw one of the comments in the chat mentioning that MJF comedy is bad. AEW comedy is good. I'd agree to disagree. There are some times with other folks where it hasn't been as funny as I think they wanted it to be. Uh, But that's where I'm at on it. It is interesting as well. Just like the week before Iron Claw comes out, AEW's got like that whole Texas swing. They're going through Arlington. They've got two nights in Garland, uh, San Antonio as well. Um, like it to me is a no brainer. You get a Kevin Von Eric just to show up there. I mean, anytime WWE has tapped into Kevin Von Eric, I mean, that guy is just, you bring him out in, in Dallas uh, or surrounding areas, easy pop and something mm-hmm. that you could, and you attach one of your, your world champion to what hopefully at least in the wrestling community is a big hit and it's received well. Um, you know, this is not going to be a blockbuster, but I think it, it could be. Well received uh, critically. I mean, if you're getting Blue Oyster Cult in the trailer, I'm I'm going in optimistic. So we will see how things go. Final thing, uh, Rich, before we uh we, we sign off here Thursday evening, late afternoon, Tony Khan will uh sit down for his uh his media call before the pay per view. What would be top of mind if you are throwing out a question at uh, Tony Khan? What would be of most interest to you? The biggest thing is uh, is there a point by which you feel comfortable in trusting someone to book AEW for you. We've seen prior, whether it's prison time, burnout, or life events, like he mentioned, you know, his mom's illness and how he kind of had to handle business there. Is who, how do you get to that point? What's the red button? And what do you, are you okay with that? Because I think sometimes life happens. We saw that with Roman Reigns. I see a lot of people complain. He wrestles left when you have a cancer scare for the second time in your life, and then you survive a global pandemic, your evaluation of what means I have to show up to work or not fundamentally changes. And I think for Tony, what is it going to be that allows you to let someone else take the wheel for the betterment of your company if that needs to happen? Because I think if he doesn't have that set up in his head, he's a very analytic guy. He's a very like meticulous guy. If he doesn't have that plan, he's like Batman. You're never going to be able to use it because you never had it planned out to begin with. Yeah, I just got my reminder email about the uh, the call tomorrow. I, I, I guess I, I think he's kind of like Vince in that, you know, this is what he's passionate about. And I, I would guess if you were to give him truth serum and, and and ask him which of his many jobs he enjoys the most, he's, he's most passionate about, I would think it's being the booker of AEW. 
Well, Rich, do uh, let all of our listeners out there know where they can uh, catch more of you, all your great stuff. Uh, this was a tremendous uh, discussion, and you can uh, find much more with Rich Fan. Yeah, sure. First, thank you guys both. I, I always love uh, the fact that I've been able to be entrusted to kind of hop the fence and join everything over at Post, and especially for Wave, for like kind of handing me the keys to MCU later with WH. Uh, on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at Rich underscore Fan, F-A-N-N. Uh, over at The Torch, I do a column every month typically and a lot of times i'll do a bi-monthly one on the site where i just talk about whatever's off the top of mind podcast wise i'll i'll mention as you did everything with rich and wade keller or my editor publisher uh my mission in life still is to get you and uh wade together to have the the most wholesome conversation one could ever have between uh canada and uh the midwestern uh minnesota man so that that that's my mission that's going to be the uh uh, what do they call that nexus event in the MCU? And of there, course, there's a, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of um, hard feelings from 1991 between uh, Blue Jays <laughs> and Twins fans. But you know we're we're Canadians and we typically turn the other cheek. So maybe after all these decades, we can all uh, put put bygones and make them be bygones. And, and I did want to ask one more question before we let Rich go. You know, there's just around our topic. There's been a lot of tumult and a lot of uh, ideas you know being thrown around and, and people saying that something needs to be done. Uh, but I just want, want your thoughts on the firing of Ken Dorsey. And is, is this a turning point finally in the Buffalo Bills season? I, I think the turning point is going to come when the Buffalo Bills look inward. Uh, you know, when, when, when I look at what happens with the Bills and what, Oh, there it is. When I, <laughs> when I look at Ken, well, here's the thing. There's no other Dorsey context for me. Like, I have no idea this individual. And I just, so uh, this is the offensive coordinator was the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills. This is after a, one of his first games as offensive coordinator, something went wrong and he just <laughs> lost it. They had I, the this, CBS, is the like, this, is, this is the guy I want. I want on my yeah. side. I think that's they lost, lost the game. But yeah, this know. is like for him. I think McDermott's biggest issue is he still sticks with the Carolina mafia. He he's bringing in guys. He's always coached with always been around. And at times when you see a, a, a guy like, you know, his offensive coordinator goes to the Giants and then, you know, things aren't going well there in Giants land because they had to trust a quarterback that probably shouldn't have been paid. Uh, but Josh Allen is a unicorn. As much as I've given some of my friends a hard time on like Josh's decision making, you have to lean into that. I'd seen Brett Favre comparisons and you don't tell Brett Favre not to throw. You don't tell him not to run. You just let him live and you, you surround him with talent to make sure he's failure proof. I think with the bills, the issue has been, you have a defensive head coach that tried to build himself to beat the chiefs. And then the Bengals showed up and you don't have an answer because the Bengals aren't the chiefs. They're built totally different. And that 13 seconds game has been a psychic, like up, not since wide, right. I think amongst bills fans has been a moment where folks are just like, what if, like they guarantee, like if this has just gone right, it's the uncle Rico moment to a billion. And and I think the sooner they fix that, the sooner they find an offensive coordinator, I'd argue Ben Johnson from the lions. If you get someone like that, or if you are uh, brave enough, bold enough, maybe you bump McDermott and you go after a Johnson or a B enemy. And you say, here are the keys make Buffalo great again. Uh, and and I think that's what you need because right now it's it's weird. It is really weird. You've lost in the time as head coach. McDermott's fired what three uh, two defensive coordinators, lost an offensive coordinator, fired one, fired two special teams coaches. So that's se- you're seven coaches in. If you if you keep getting rid of people because there's not a fit, at some point the, the fingers are going to point at you. I'm rooting for you, Brandon. I I have no stake in the Super Bowl, but man, do I I want your Bills to just just win one. That's that's what I'm hoping for. They're supposed to win one this year, but uh, 
out of the playoffs at the moment. Well, Rich, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for uh, jumping on with us. We'll have to do this again uh, sometime in the, in the near future. And this coming Saturday night, he will be live with WH Park. They're going to be reviewing the Marvels, the state of Marvel. Uh, we're making this guy just cure all entertainment and sports problems in a week. From AEW and Marvel, Rich Van and WH Park have all the answers. So uh, tune into that on a Saturday night on the Post Wrestling Cafe. You and WH, uh, just tremendous together. Always enjoy listening to you guys. Oh, it's fun. And when, when uh, Way messaged us to say, you know, you're counter-programming AEW's pay-per-view, I was like, you know what? When I, when I, when I asked Way when I asked Way if that was okay, WH gave me a series of four-letter words that I didn't feel comfortable throwing back to him. So I was like, listen, I talked to WH, we're good. His, his vocabulary uh, is, you know, he's very succinct. You, you always Andrew know Dice we're, Park. We're, that's what we call him. <laughs> Andrew Dice Park. Very well said. Thanks a lot, Rich. All the best. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Rich. All right. The great Rich fan uh, joining us. We have a a couple of super chats here. Let's uh, let's go to Curly Mustache FTW. It's actually on my birth certificate. Do you think it would benefit WWE to help NWA get that CW deal to provide a counterpoint to the MLW lawsuit? He does apologize for the username. No, we love the username. Um, WWE, would it be a strategic play to just, hey, get 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 NWA on on your app on television i i don't know if wwe is going to be lifting a finger in in that direction i i, I don't think so i don't think it's going to happen but uh i think the i don't think it's going to change the outcome or whatever the outcome is for the antitrust lawsuit um yeah i, I what, what would they do is a, is another question how, how would they help i guess say yeah go ahead and make make a deal with them i don't know yeah, I think for WWE, it's it's not going to be a big uh, difference maker. I also look at it the fact that it would be of no consequence to WWE if the yeah. NWA got some slot on CW. I mean, it's it's a, it's a lot like UFC where it is like there's this this whole discussion on UFC and one of if not the biggest fights you could make right now is John Jones and Francis Ngannou, who has left the UFC. He has signed with PFL. He's now coming off this incredible performance in Saudi Arabia. And what a stupid idea. Horrible. Fumbled the bag. Well, it's such a big fight you could make. And Dana White is just so anti co-promotion. But when you look at it, like they could co-promote with the PFL. They would control everything. Like the UFC is beyond the position of power that they could negotiate the lion's share of the revenue. They could put it would be a pretty much UFC presentation with PFL getting a cut. PFL is not going to all of a sudden be a player. It's not as though it would at all change the power dynamic in MMA. It's very similar in uh, WWE. And uh, also here, the the Jasonot who sends us a super sticker. Thank you very much to the Jasonot. Thank you. Solid, uh, solid usernames uh, from from everybody. We we appreciate it as always. Uh, but that is a uh, we are bringing things to a close. But yes, Thursday evening is the Tony Khan. Uh, media call going down around 4 p.m. Eastern time. Um, so Brandon here, this is late breaking news. Brandon has gotten his his uh, approval and alert. John Pollock has not. So I really, don't, I don't know what's uh, to say about that. I should I should double check that I did RSVP to this, but that will be going down on uh, Thursday evening. You got the, I mean, you got the original email. Though, I got the original. So? I originally, okay. yeah. Okay. So I think I'll be okay. good. But you were invited. Are you are you are you looking any differently in terms of just this is. This is an interesting period for AEW. I am curious some of the questions that are thrown uh, Tony Khan's way. Um, this is one where, I mean, you will get, you know, some of the just uh, random questions, but there's there's a lot of substantive ones that that could could be asked. Yeah, this feels like a, the 
this feels like the most a, a time where AW's content has been under the most criticism. I don't feel like it's been as embattled as this before, right? And now he's going to be asked questions. Lord knows what will be asked. Uh, but I'm sure there'll be some questions along the lines of, you know, giving him a chance to, to defend the content and defend why things are being done the way they are. So that'll be hopefully meaningful to hear. Coming up this weekend, uh, we have got, uh, well, myself and Wei will be live after the Full Gear pay-per-view up here on the Post YouTube channel. And then Sunday morning for members at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, you have a brand new WrestleNomics radio as uh, Brandon and Jesse will be providing a Post Full Gear pre-Buffalo Bills show. Bills playing yeah, on Buffalo Sunday, Bills I think, I think they're playing late afternoon. Uh, but yeah, we'll be talking about whatever the, the news is when I put the slides together on Friday. Um, more in-depth uh, topics that we talked about today. Um, but I've been looking at, at attendance, like I said earlier. So maybe I'll buy a Sunday. I'll have some historical attendance estimates to consider. To consider whether this era is... To consider what, to what extent the attendances are comparable in this era versus the Attitude Era. Ooh, always love the comparisons. Is this as big as the attitude? Probably not, but um, but we'll see how close it is in terms of averages, at least. Okay, that's a very sensitive area for for some fans out there when you make comparisons to the attitude era. The yes, the three years that cannot you you cannot make any comparisons. It was it was perfect. It was Nirvana of professional wrestling history, unless unless you go back and like live through some of this stuff, such as a uh, WCW Thunder edition from. the year 2000, which way, and I recently reviewed, and you will remember that, uh, you know, the 2000s were not, were not that great when you, when you look at that no. side of the fence. That's it for us. Again, thank you to Rich Fan for joining us. Thank you to everybody that tuned in live, and a thank you to Brandon for that, uh, that, that video opening. Um, a new staple here on uh, Pollock and Thurston. It took us uh, all these months, and I think uh, came out with flying colors. New graphics. I decided on a whim. There's no structure to my life. I just do stuff and, you know, sometimes I open a spreadsheet. I do stuff. I open PowerPoint. I make graphics. That's, that's my graphics program, by the way, Microsoft PowerPoint. So that's uh, what, what has delivered this to us today. All the secrets of uh, Brandon Thurston revealed right there for you. Well, thanks, everyone. We're back. We're here every Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern time next week. It's, uh, it's Survivor Series week. It's the Battle of Chicago next week. AEW in Chicago, WWE in Chicago for two nights. A lot of wrestling in Chicago next week. So uh, uh, we will get you all uh, primed for that. And and the hangover from the Friday Night War, Collision versus SmackDown. We'll, uh, we'll put all the pieces back together. All right, that's it for us. Thanks to everyone for tuning in to this week's edition of Pollock and Thurston. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.